I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hi everyone, I have a really great guest on today's episode of Beauty Bosses. I'm here with Liz Burt. Welcome. Hello, thank you so much for having me. So Liz is, as you guys may know, not only a Columbia Law student, but she's also a really big deal Maxim model. Oh my god. <laughs> and she's the co-founder of a very luxurious cashmere company called Valnoir. So welcome, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. So you do three things that are all completely different from each other. Totally not congruent to one another. There's no kind of linear thread between each one. Which one? I don't even know if you can answer this question. But which <laughs> one of those three is like the heart of your real identity? Well, that's a good question. Um, I would say there are all kind of different aspects of my identity. I have my artistic side which is Val Noir. I have kind of my more creative stream of consciousness, um, like uh, muse-esque modeling, and then I have more my analytical and law school. Um, okay, amazing. Well, um, I wanted to rewind a little bit and mm -hmm. hear about the beginning of your story. When you were, like, I don't know if you were ever an awkward preteen because you seem like you've never been awkward for a minute in your oh, life. thank you. <laughs> but let's say you're an uncertain 12 or 13 year old. Mm -hmm. What were you thinking about the direction your life was going to go and what did you want to be at that time? Well, so this is kind of funny. I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Uh, for the longest time I did uh, my prerequisites in my undergrad, which were horrible. I don't know how you did all of that. All the organic chemistry oh my and gosh. like molecules. Oh my gosh, calculus. Like why do you need to know calculus if you're going to cut into people? It's like nonsensical. Um, but that's what I wanted to be and that's kind of how I trained myself and uh, my mindset to be. And then I got scouted and everything kind of changed. So what was the story of getting scouted? Because we hear all these you know, somewhat hard to believe stories like, oh, I was walking down the street and all of but a sudden. But it's actually so true. So what happened? Yeah, tell, tell me the story. So this is actually true. I was in Philadelphia with my dad. He was there for a business conference and um, we were eating pizza. I know it wasn't Philly cheesesteaks, but um, we were walking down. I'm not sure which street it was, but it was near the courthouse. And this beautiful woman, beautiful blonde, came up to me and she's like, hi, have you ever considered being a model? And me and my dad both kind of laughed at her, and um, turns out she was uh, an agent for one of the biggest modeling agencies, and it kind of just went from there. Okay, so yeah. it was real. It wasn't like It was like real, a... yeah. It wasn't like some creepy <laughs> Creepy person. pickup line or whatever. No, okay. All right. Pickup. So you Young got scouted so when someone spotted you on the street, mm -hmm. and then did you start modeling right away? Yeah, so... Um, I did. I actually, so I went up there probably six months after I first met her. I had to lose some weight because I was more fit. I was playing soccer at the time. And uh, I think my first job was actually Pantene Pro-V hair. And that was like, I don't, I don't want to say numbers, but that was really a big number. And that was my first job ever. Pantene's yeah. like where it's at. That's that's, yeah. a, that's yeah. a pretty uh, high level hair. You'd be great for Pantene. You have like the yeah, most perfect hair. Yeah, feel free to pass my name along. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I go. Next time Dr. you go. Devgun's looking for sponsorship. Um, so that's a really big modeling contract to mm -hmm. land really early on. So that must mm -hmm. have been a big 
splash into the model- modeling world for you? It was. It kind of just threw me headfirst into the whole thing. Um, I was kind of. I was actually the awkward teen. I was more nerdy and introverted, which I still am to a certain degree, but it's more muted. Um, and then I had to be this more extroverted person, and I kind of had to learn how to adjust and kind of not really wear a mask, but to kind of access this part of me, you know. Yeah. I mean, are you more introverted or extroverted? I would I, say extroverted, just no, because. No, I know. It seems like that, but mm-hmm. I am a secret introvert. Really? And it's weird because I talk constantly, like all day <laughs> to my patients. I do all this media stuff. <laughs> social media, podcasting, mm-hmm. but, like, I am such a private, introverted person. Mm-hmm. Well, I would not, not think that at all. But I would never think that you were an introvert. Well, we all have our secrets, I guess. I don't know. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about modeling because mm-hmm. um, you're the first professional model that we've had on the podcast. Oh, well, and, thank you. Um, we wanted to start with a really good one. So oh, thank you. that's why you're here. And modeling is so interesting because it's this world that everyone is curious about Mm -hmm. it's a billion trillion dollar industry um but at the same time it's so fraught because Mm -hmm. it's blamed for so many problems with body image and Mm -hmm. eating disorders and Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff and i was just thinking that when you said that you know just for those of you who've never seen liz burt first of all google her and check her out Um, but second of all she's extremely tall and slender and it Mm -hmm. shocks me that someone would tell you to lose weight so Mm -hmm. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about, like, your weight and how body image and that kind of no, thing is, allowed you is... to get into modeling? Like, how much weight did you have to lose oh, and how skinny is, did you have to this be? This is uh, super important that we're talking about this. Um, there's been an ongoing debate about this for about 10 to 20 years and it's kind of reached a pinnacle the past couple years. Um so I was probably, I'm about 5'10", and I was, when I was first scouted, I was probably 128. So that's pretty normal. That's almost below your doctor. What is the BMI? It's a little bit underweight, 128. Yeah, that's a little underweight. And so I had to kind of get to 115. So this is 2005, 2006, and I was like preteen going into my teens, and that was overweight. That's kind of terrifying and this was the era right after Kate Moss it was like remember like that kind of it wasn't the wafy like heroin chic yeah yeah, I didn't want to say heroin chic but yeah it was kind of wafy like that's right when I hit my modeling thing so I had to kind of starve myself for six months in order to go to New York and it was it was horrible and I knew a lot of girls um that uh, have not had great ends due to eating disorders it's so sad. Yeah. Because being 5'10 and 128 is, that's super skinny at that's baseline. Way too thin, and to yeah. take a skinny person and make them into an extremely skinny person, especially because you're asking them to starve themselves, it's mm-hmm. sort of like, whoa. And mm-hmm. what year was that? It was probably 2006, I would say. So it's not really that long ago. <laughs> not that long ago at all. 10 years. Wow. Yeah. And were you. Like miserable? Were you not eating? Or how, mm, how I was absolutely you... miserable. Um, I would say I went from eating a very healthy diet to, I mean, it was really bad, and I don't want to promote this lifestyle at all. I would probably eat like an apple a day. Oh um, my god. Yeah, for well, especially during runway season when I had to lose even more weight. I was like 108, 510. Like, you can't, that's starvation. That's beyond starvation. Um, so I was doing that for about two years, doing runway modeling, and I kind of shifted to more commercial modeling. We could be a little bit heavier, but not much. 
So yeah. when you were at that extremely thin mm-hmm. body weight from runway modeling, is that how all of the models looked? Mm-hmm. Is that like what was expected and it was totally yep. normal? Yeah, so I was um I started with a group of girls. Um I was at Fusion Models and actually uh we all kind of got the brunt end of it. Uh, we all had to lose weight and uh actually one of the girls that I started modeling with just passed away of cardiac arrest. She had um complications from anorexia ten years later. And she passed away, I would say, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. So I mean it's long lasting. Once you starve yourself, I mean you would know better than I. The organs yeah. take a hit. And, it and you can get multi-system organ failure. And just mm-hmm. from a medical pers- perspective, people don't mm-hmm. realize that eating disorders are some of the mm-hmm. deadliest forms of mental illness. Mm-hmm. And and people don't even realize that they're categorized as such, but they mm-hmm. really become, you know, the same category as depression and anxiety, mm-hmm. where you re- it's, it's hard to think about what's rational. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's so incredibly sad to hear. Isn't anorexia, isn't it like one of the most uh, fatal of mental illnesses? It's like yeah. 10% dies or something really Absolutely. High. It's super, mm-hmm. um, it's super dangerous and extremely mm-hmm. worrisome, particularly because there are people who, um, who are, the people who are affected tend to hide it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's so, hard to hide when it gets really bad too. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like eating disorders were rampant in the modeling world? Oh, very much so. I didn't, I don't think I knew anyone that didn't have an eating disorder. Um, maybe one or two girls that were just naturally thin, but even the men, um, they had, it's called manorexia, I would say. If they were doing runway modeling, they had to eat basically just grilled chicken and vegetables for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's all they were eating. So I think everyone kind of had a version of it. Were there any behaviors that you saw related to the realm of eating disorders that were mm-hmm. just like especially shocking to you? Um, there was a lot of shame, guilt. Um, there's mm, That's a good question. Um, I mean, you see some crazy stuff. Uh, you hear stories of girls taking uh, cotton balls, dipping them in orange juice, and eating them t- in order to kind of expand their stomach and not feel full. Um, oh, my God. I've yeah. never heard of that. Never heard of that? Yeah, I mean, that was definitely a thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, did your parents worry about you? Oh, very much so. So, I also have Crohn's disease. So, I um, already had a pre-existing medical condition. And I think the kind of extreme dieting exacerbated a lot of issues I was having. Um, Especially inflammatory issues. I would have flare-ups more and stuff like that. Um, So, yeah, they were very worried for me. But I was making a lot of money and I was sending myself to college. So, it was kind of this push-pull of whether they should let me continue. Did you at all times feel like you were in control of the fact that you were deliberately making yourself extremely thin? Um, Or did you ever feel, I mean, did you feel like, did you feel like, okay, I'm a normal person and I know what I'm supposed to be eating and I'm just training for this certain show and then Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back to normal? Or did you feel like it really affected your entire personality and permeated your whole life? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would say at first I um, was completely in control of it. I, once I was done runway um, season, I would gain weight back. Um, But after like, I would say the year and a half, two years, it kind of, I started convincing myself that I was in control of it, but I wasn't. And that's kind of, um, the, a huge symptom of anorexia you don't really know you have it um and uh, yeah I, after a couple of years and people tell me oh you look so much better thin like I, I didn't have control of it at all and I think that's the most dangerous thing about eating mm-hmm. disorders yeah. would you say that you were ever diagnosed with an eating disorder or do you consider mm-hmm. that a form of disordered eating 
I was not formally diagnosed, but um, also, again, not to keep pushing back to Crohn's, because eating caused me pain, it was like an additional uh, reinforcement not to eat. So it, it was like a multifaceted, just, I'm not going to eat. Um, but I would say, I was not clinically diagnosed, but I probably did fall into that category for about two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who are not familiar with Crohn's disease, it's mm-hmm. an inflammatory bowel disease that can... Um, give someone um, bloody stools and weight loss and abdominal pain and Mm -hmm. it can be very difficult and challenging and people you know we'll talk about this a little bit later but people with Crohn's disease have um, their own set of concerns related to diet very much so so you were doing really well making a lot of money Mm -hmm. you put yourself through college and did you pay for your own college with modeling funds i did i did 100 percent um my parents weren't able to and so i kind of stepped up and took over that was so hard i I don't (laughs) i don't recommend it if you don't have to but um yeah that was probably the hardest time in my entire life um i would go to work and then immediately go to school right after so basically i was only getting like five to six hours of sleep a night if that four hours Wow. And were you trying to continue to model while you were in college? Uh, yeah, so I continued modeling throughout college. I kind of toned it down a little bit. I wasn't traveling, so I was kind of more based in New York. So I had uh, clients like New York and & Company and um, Pantene still, L'Oreal, that were kind of based in New York, so I didn't have to travel. But, yeah, I continued throughout my undergrad. Where did you go to undergrad? Uh, Columbia University on the Upper West Side. Okay, great. You so went there. A Columbia lifer. Well, I went to Yale for undergrad, but I did mm-hmm. my um, residency and fellowship at Columbia. Oh, you went to Yale? Your squash team's good. I wasn't part of that, but mm-hmm. I'll take credit. <laughs> you beat us at a lot of sports. We'll just say that. Um, you, did you play squash in college? No, no, no. I just followed it. Oh, you swallowed it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so you, you know, on, on the outside, it probably looked like you were the perfect person having living the perfect life, mm-hmm. you know, being a young, beautiful model in New Thank York you. City, Thank going you. to an elite Ivy League school, mm-hmm. you know, putting yourself through college mm-hmm. on in national campaigns for L'Oreal and Pantene and mm-hmm. some of these huge billion dollar retail giants. Were you happy? Uh oh man, you kind of went right in there. <laughs> <laughs> like, We're gonna like really get oh, to man. it. Oh, I should have been a psychologist. Um Simple answer, no, I was not happy at all. Um, I'm a perfectionist, um, so if I do something, I have to do it extremely well. Would you say you're a perfectionist? No. Definitely. Okay, so you can relate to that. Um, so if I take a class, I have to get an A. If I do a job, I have to make sure I'm on the cover, uh, you know, stuff like that. So no, I was not happy. I was kind of um, uh, pushing myself way too hard. And simple answer is no, and I don't think that was really fair to me. When you were at Columbia, this is sort of another topic, a broader topic that I wanted to discuss with you, but when you were at Columbia, one of the august institutions of higher learning in the United States, this very elite Ivy League school that everybody wants to go to, did you ever feel like people put you in a box? Because you're very physically beautiful. Thank you. But yet you're very... As are you. Thanks. (laughs) Mutual admiration society. Um, But you're also very um, smart and intellectual. Thank you. And I think for a a long period in history, and maybe even a little today, people think that you have to choose between being one or the other. Mm -hmm. So did you ever feel like when you were at Columbia that you were being put in a box as not really smart or not really belonging because Mm -hmm. you're, you know, the first thing people notice about you is that you're pretty? 
Wow, that's a great question. You have such good questions. Um, yes, um, I would say I was almost, I wouldn't say, I don't want to say the wrong word. Yes, um, especially by men and sometimes by women. Um, and also on campus, uh, I was kind of known. Um, there was me and like one other model that was three years ahead of me. Um, we were, I mean, every it's not a huge college, so like other people know other people. And I would say I would get comments in class, uh, like they would snicker when I would ask questions. And I don't think, you know, if a guy, a blonde hair, blue eyed guy said the same question, they would be snickering. But because it was me, it was kind of, you know. Did you, were you ever put in any inappropriate situations, either in education, work, or modeling, where you felt like one of these Me Too moments, like people mm-hmm. were behaving inappropriately. Would you care to expand on any of that? Uh, that's a great question. Um, in college? In co- I mean, I'm not trying to pick out pick on Columbia, mm-hmm. but I, I just mean in your... Is that like, Yale in, and you? <laughs> no, it's not. It's, I just mean like in no, your no, life no. experiences. Like, did you have one of these cliche, quote, casting, cu- casting couch mm-hmm. moments? Um, or um, did you experience firsthand things where you felt like people in positions of authority were uh, misusing the authority in a sexualized manner because you kind of came of age as a model mm-hmm. in the heyday of what we now know of as you know this me too moment mm-hmm. where all mm-hmm. of these horrible things were happening and there were a lot of abuses of power i'm just wondering mm-hmm. since you lived it if you if you felt that way um, I would say absolutely, um, especially when I was younger, um, 13, 14, 15, 16 as a model. Um, there was a couple of photographers who made it known to girls at castings that like you had to kind of uh, flirt and be flirty with them. And sometimes they would make um, like really like uh, rude comments or kind of sexualize our bodies when we were shooting and seemed uncomfortable. Um, I had a photographer one time that uh, uh, tried to book me for a job and it was, um, where was it? Costa Rica? Puerto Rico? And it turns out it was just like a test shoot and it was just like him and one other person and thank God the, um, uh, uh, my booker did due diligence. Uh, it turned out it was just not, it was just him being super creepy. But yeah, I would say it, it happened quite often. Has the modeling industry changed in the past 10 years or is it still creepy in that way? Um, it's much better. I would say there's a lot more female photographers. I'm not sure why there's kind of this influx, but, um, like the past five jobs I had, they've all been female photographers. Um, but it's definitely been much better. I mean, is it completely better? No, it's not. There's still issues with certain people. What about relating to um, body image and body acceptance and eating disorders? Do you feel like things mm-hmm. have gotten better now as compared to 2006? Girl, uh, so it went in the opposite direction. <laughs> okay, all right. So it went from being waif-like and, like, all bones and oh, you're a hanger to, like, you have to have boobs and a butt and have, like, this ridiculous proportion. So I actually have to gain weight now and kind of get to where I started before modeling. It's like, oh, come on, guys, make up your mind. So I think, like, the Kardashians kind of set this unrealistic president for like this boobs small waist and butt and yeah there's no way that I can I can do that so Uh, that's so interesting because it's a beauty ideal that's just as unattainable as it was in like the Kate Moss heroin chic era but it's but it's like 
you attain it in a totally different manner mm-hmm. with like you know mm. pizza and surgical interventions and like you pizza. know and like um, so I wanted to talk about pizza also because oh, no. I love I'm pizza. Happy. I mean, I feel like anyone worth their salt loves pizza, but um, you are this is what kind I came of here for. Famously known as the most pizza loving model, like period. I think. Mm-hmm. Tell us about pizza. Well, um, <laughs> tell us everything about. <laughs> so I, I was obviously scouted eating pizza, and um, you were. That's so yeah, funny. I was walking in Philadelphia okay. eating pizza with my dad, um, and so it became this inside joke with the other models and a couple of my friends that I would always eat pizza, um, just because it was really easy, it was affordable, and because it didn't exacerbate my health issues, uh, surprisingly. Um, and so this inside joke kind of became this huge kind of monster. And I've been doing interviews with, like, Maxim, and I have one coming up with the Huffington Post, and they just asked me about pizza. And it's, I mean, I love it. I'm fine with it. I think they're just kind of shocked that I'm thin and I eat pizza. And then you eat pizza. Well, you know, I if you think about it, pizza is sort of the perfect food because it's carbohydrates, I like vegetables, <laughs> protein, dairy. Yeah. Like, you kind of don't need anything besides pizza. I, I, Dietitians I, fact-check me on that one. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did, <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, I need it on a t-shirt. So, yeah, pizza is the perfect food. Um, <laughs> so I think that's really interesting. Now, you more recently have been um, all over a different kind of publication, um, mm-hmm. which is a Maxim and like, mm-hmm. related publications. So mm-hmm. your image has transformed as a model from the early days of like super skinny runway mm-hmm. modeling to now more like pizza eating, oh, <laughs> you know, sensual, body positive, mm-hmm. um, almost sexy type of um, photo shoots. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what it feels like to be a sex symbol? Because Oh my gosh, no. I think, um, no, I'm going to like make you talk about this, but um, just so that you guys have background, Liz, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've been in like the Maxim top 100 list Mm -hmm. a bunch of times alongside, Mm -hmm. you know, Kim Kardashian and Jennifer Lawrence and, you know, Mm -hmm. all the most beautiful women in the world. And so, and those part. So what does it feel like to be a sex symbol? Uh, very surreal. I mean, obviously, I'm a little nerdy, I would say, introverted. Uh, I don't, I don't categorize myself as a sex symbol, even though I think my category in the last Hot 100 was sex sirens or something like that, sirens, which is kind of funny. Um, it's surreal. I don't really identify as it. Um, my mom was actually, um, a Playboy model, and so, and a dancer. She was, um, a rockette as well. And so she's kind of the sexy one in the family, and I kind of just was the more elegant runway model type. So I, I feel like she is the bar I keep trying to reach and I'll never kind of reach it. So the answer is I don't identify as a sex symbol at all. <laughs> what was it like? That's so interesting. I didn't know that about your mom. What was it like growing up with a mom who is a Playboy model? Oh, my God. Um, so I had a lot of guy friends probably because of that. Uh, it was annoying, I would say. I mean, she was she still is gorgeous. She would come into my class with, like, 
her beautiful hair, and she actually looks a lot like you. Um, I mean, you're much younger, but um, she has like long dark hair, beautiful eyelashes, shapely body. It was it was interesting. Um, it was a weird balance between keeping guys away from her and hitting on her to being proud of her. Did you want to be like her when you were young? Like, did you want to be alluring and sensual in that way, or did you feel more allergic to it because it was front and center? I would say wasn't my I didn't have a natural proclivity towards being that way. I was more reserved, where she's more uh, I don't know. She it was just it's just in her DNA to be sexy. It's who she is. It's not in my in my it's in my DNA to be more elegant. I would say. Yeah, I can see that. You definitely carry yourself with a lot of poise. Thank you. So one thing that I've always been curious about, and I've Mm -hmm. never sat down with a professional model to have this type of in-depth conversation. I'm so honored you chose me. (laughs) Yeah, but no, I'm like someone who really wants to get into it. And I love Mm -hmm. you because you're very intellectual about this um, stuff. But how do you reconcile the idea of wanting to be perceived in a sexy way and like be a Maxim model Mm -hmm. with, the idea of wanting to be respected and intellectual. And I'm saying this from a place of yes, in the sense that I think that in 2018 of all eras, women and men can be a a number of different things and you can wear a million different hats. So Mm -hmm. I I just want to hear from your standpoint, like how do you go from, you know, a (laughs) sultry bikini photo shoot in Maxim Magazine one minute to... Mm -hmm. Uh, a lecture hall at Columbia Law School the next minute and how do you reconcile those two things and how do you want people to look at you as like the girl that they are lusting after or Mm -hmm. a woman of substance who's going to be their lawyer one day um I would definitely say woman of substance looks fade but intelligence and kindness are perennial um I don't really reconcile it's just two aspects of my personality and I kind of turn off the sexy maxim once I kind of enter the you know law classroom and then I'll do the same thing when I'm walking into a shoot I'll just kind of turn on that part of my personality do you ever feel like you have to hide a side of your personality like do you ever feel embarrassed like you don't want anyone in the room to know about you know your final exam or your (laughs) maxim shoot uh with school I don't tell anyone that I'm a maxim model and I don't think I mean they've obviously found me since undergrad but um no, I wouldn't tell anyone what I was up to. It was kind of it, it wasn't an embarrassment. It's just I wanted them to see me as as you said, a woman of substance. And I think once they saw that I did maxim, perhaps they would perceive me in a different light. But I'm not I'm not sure in this day and age if you can. It's a good question. I, I think maybe you can be both without people thinking less of you. I mean, the thing is you are both and we all are so many different things that I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to this question. That's why I, I'm asking you the hard ones. Um, so I don't have to answer them. But I think that, no, thank you. I think, I think that um, I think women and men can wear many different hats. And mm-hmm. it's sort of now, out of any time in history, is a time when you can have a complex identity. And it's mm-hmm. not black or white. It's the gray area. Mm-hmm. Actually, I have a question for you. Obviously, you're a beautiful woman. Um, when you are in med school, did you have issues with that? Like being uh, this beautiful woman in class, like do people treat you differently? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think a lot of women who um, who are in really any kind of field, medicine, mm-hmm. law, yep. you know, sales, modeling, retail. I, I think mm-hmm. no matter what you do, 
especially 10 years ago to mm-hmm. 15 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, things were really strange. There were definitely people who told me I didn't have to become a surgeon. I could just marry one. Yes. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Some of my great mentors. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, I think that that's, um, that's something that women hear a lot of. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you didn't marry one. Did you marry one? No, no. no my husband's I'm, in business. Okay. I'm glad you became one. Yeah. It's inspiring to see what you do, and you know, I think little girls need that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like it's um, it's nice how you are also wearing many hats. Mm-hmm. One thing that I really like that you've been doing lately that's kind of related to this idea of. Um, image Mm -hmm. is you've been putting a lot of personal information into the world about your struggle with Crohn's disease Mm -hmm. and um, you've had tell me the exact number but you've had hundreds Mm -hmm. of operations Mm -hmm. procedures procedures and operations Mm -hmm. related to Crohn's disease Mm -hmm. culminating this summer in having Mm -hmm. a portion of your colon removed Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about that um so in the last 10 years, I would say I had 245 hospitalizations or procedures and then even more hospitalizations. Um, I mean, that includes surgeries to remove my colon, uh, disimpaction, stuff like that. Um, and so this past summer, um, they said that it, there would come to a point where it would be my life or, you know, my colon. And I said, you know what, let's just take the whole thing out. So they took out my entire colon. Um, and for the past, I would say, since I started modeling, I've hit it, uh, especially from my bookers, um, because you can't be sick and be a model. You're a liability. Um, so finally, in the last year, I decided to be super public about it. I just kind of, uh, I would say, let go of the shame and guilt I felt surrounding Crohn's and just became public with it. I think that's amazing. How has that affected people's ability to perceive you the way, you know, a Maxim model is supposed to be perceived? Do you still feel mm-hmm. like they want to make you a centerfold and that kind of thing? Um, for, uh, so I spoke to, uh, I'm good friends with the um, art director at uh, Maxim US and Maxim Australia, and they, don't, they think it's great that I'm actually promoting it, and they're looking more for inspiring stories instead of just a pretty face now. And I think the whole modeling industry is kind of circumnavigating inspiring stories instead of just pretty faces. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that that's the... why you could be a Pantene Pro V model? Uh, because you have an inspiring story and they're looking for people with stories instead of people just with looks. That's what modeling is. They want to know about the models and if they have anything to kind of share. Yeah. I wonder, do you think we're ever going to be in an era that's in a way past modeling? Like, do you, do, so. you think that, do you think that the sun is setting on magazines like Playboy and Maxim where women are for the viewing pleasure of men? Mm, I think it's evolving and it's going to other platforms. I think, I mean, paper magazines are going the way of the dinosaur, but it's evolving. It's going to other places like Instagram and uh, modeling's kind of now encompassing Instagram models and stuff like that. I mean, models that just model on Instagram are making money, and that is modeling. Yeah. So it's evolving. And you have a really big Instagram presence that's been really instrumental in Mm -hmm. growing your brand identity. How did you get started on Instagram? 
Uh, so this is interesting. Um, in order to be with the agency I was with, they required every model to have a following of 10,000. I'm completely uh, kind of, I'm, well, no, I'm not completely. I'm against social media. I think it kind of hinders friendships and relationships, or it can. Um, and I'm also very private. And so it took a lot of me just to go on Instagram. And so it was basically a prerequisite in order to be with the agency. So I had to you know, go on talk shows and I had to um, do live streams in order to kind of build it up in order to just be a part of my agency. And that wasn't required prior to Instagram. It's a new thing. Yeah, Instagram's really changed everything for people. You have a big following too. Which is interesting. I think it's Mm -hmm. because what I do is a visual field. Yeah, and you have um, very avid fans, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Same to you. Um, Tell tell us if people are listening and they want a couple of concrete, specific tips on how to grow their social Mm -hmm. media presence. Give us some advice about that. Um... So it's all about algorithms now. Um, It's about posting at a certain... So whatever demographic you're going after, really research them. Um, I'm kind of going after demographic that's kind of like me and maybe a little bit younger. Um, And then post at a certain time of day, maybe 1 p.m. your time and or 3 p.m. Never post on weekends. Weekends are just horrible for Instagram, especially for... uh, models I would say um and I think the last one would be just to comment and to kind of interact with people um and I think just commenting on people and building building it organically is the way to go unfortunately what do you think about all the criticism that people get about face tuning and filtering and photoshopping um Mm. especially all the Instagram models I saw a post the other day that was an Instagram model and a massively like <laughs> in real life and then a massively photoshopped version of uh-huh. like what went on the on the channel mm-hmm. what what are your sort of thoughts about that well I mean oh man uh I mean it's taking photoshop in magazines and putting it in a more digital form I guess yeah. I mean I'm okay with it um as long as people realize that's what it is and people are like oh well natural non non-makeup selfie like they have to be a little bit more genuine with it yeah especially for little girls on you have a little girl, yes? Yeah, two. On, on uh, Instagram. <laughs> My little girls are too young to know about Instagram. I don't know what Thank I'm going to tell them about it. <laughs> I have to a little bit of time. Block them. A couple more years to figure that out. Um, I wanted to also talk about your company. So in mm-hmm. addition to all of these interesting topics related to modeling and law and intellect and things like that, um, you also co-founded a cashmere company called mm-hmm. Val Noir. Tell mm-hmm. us about the company. Uh, so the company is an e-commerce, uh, non-brick-and-mortar um, cashmere company. Um, we source from the best cashmere in the world. It's Laura Piana um, Cashmere. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Amazing brand. Yeah. Um, and so basically when I was a model, I was kind of lumped into the fall category of models. And so I built a lot of connections with people in like winter wear and stuff like that. And so I listened to what buyers were saying over the years. And eventually I'm like, maybe I should just start a cashmere company. It's niche and I mean, it has potential to grow. So in my undergrad, I decided to start it, went to buyers with the kind of uh, plan and uh, product they were looking for. And it, it did quite well. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. And or it's doing quite well. What are your goals for the company? Uh, I just wanted to continue to grow. I wanted to be on like Net-A-Porte and companies like that. Um, and just hopefully maybe to get like a great celebrity face. 
We were talking about this a little bit earlier before we started the podcast, but um, you were telling me about your involvement with the brand and mm-hmm. kind of different business-related changes mm-hmm. you've gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about some of that? Sure. So I started the company, and then um, I think two years ago now, um, I sold the company uh, and am currently on it in a consulting capacity, and I'm now trying to buy back into it. Um, as we talked about before the podcast, what was it, uh, Frederick? Yeah, Frederick Fakai was, uh, he, he sold, we were just talking about this earlier, that Frederick mm-hmm. Fakai sold his company and recently bought it back mm-hmm. and was kind of talking about how it's almost like giving up your baby and then missing mm-hmm. your baby and wanting to have a piece of it again. Mm-hmm. So you're going through that now. Um, yeah, um, again, as I mentioned, I kind of went through a mild depression when I was out of it. Um, it's my creative baby. It's my fashion baby. Um, I mean, it's been kind of a lucrative business, but it's also something I care deeply about. I mean, your product line, you can kind of relate with that. Yeah, it's you know, like it know. takes so much energy and dedication and mm-hmm. like thought and love to put one little <laughs> molecule of something into the world. And mm-hmm. like, you know, they, they say that you're... Your whole business is the minute you make your first dollar of profit. Yes. And like, you know, there's so much back end that goes mm-hmm. into that first turning of red to black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by the way, your lip plumper is amazing. Oh, thanks. I'm putting a little plug in there. <laughs> it is amazing. I wear it often. It tingles and then it kind of just like creates like this nice little plumpness on my upper lip that I really like. Yeah. It yeah. looks always looks great on you. Thank you. Your lashes are looking awesome too. Well, thank you. Um, so... Do you, do you, I don't know if you're at liberty to discuss any of the business side or numbers related to Val Noir, but mm-hmm. would you care to expound on anything related to metrics of the company or anything like that? Um, I'm not really supposed to talk about it. Uh, I'm sorry. No, that's yeah. okay. That's a fine answer. Yeah. We want to respect your business, you know, uh, privacy, but at the mm-hmm. same time, people are always interested in growth. Um, and mm-hmm. it seems like you guys have had um, a big growth, especially on social. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. Um, and I think kind of plugging it from my personal Instagram kind of helped it a lot, even though the two brand in, uh, images aren't exactly, um, uh, I don't want to use the word, I guess congruent, but um, I don't know, it's, it's been helping it a lot. Yeah, we discussed this. Well, as well I think before. it's not that they're not congruent. So, just as a backstory, Val Noir is a very elevated brand identity and mm-hmm. super classy. And um, when you post the cashmere and the sweaters on your personal mm-hmm. um, Instagram, it tends to be more sultry types of poses. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's going back to our previous topic, which mm-hmm. is that women are not dichotomized, that we can mm-hmm. be complex creatures. I love and that. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to just be one thing mm-hmm. every single minute. You can be both. I love that. Um, yes. Well, this has been so fun chatting with you. I wanted to close by asking you to talk to us um, a little bit about what you see happening in the modeling industry, because I think mm-hmm. that it's such an interesting time you know, the Victoria's Secret fashion show just aired a couple days mm-hmm. ago and December second. Yeah. It got totally slammed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it got completely yeah. torn apart to shreds by the media. And I read all of these articles in Business of Fashion in the New York Times about how Victoria's Secret is totally irrelevant and it's promoting mm-hmm. this sort of skinny male fantasy and that's not 
what we need at this time. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of understand your insider thoughts on what we mm-hmm. need in modeling and what like what what's going to change and what has changed. I think we need a plus size model or a street size model in the Victoria's Secret one, right? I mean, I've yet to see. Have they ever had a plus size model? I don't think so. Um, even a street size model, have you heard of that? Street size modeling? It's basically between plus size and uh, runway size. Um, I mean, I would just love to see a girl with curves up a little I feel like way. I'm street size. Bigger not. <laughs> is street size like a euphemism for being a regular person? I'm in the regular oh, person. No, category. you're definitely not regular. Um, it's basically size 4 to, I think, 12, and then 12 plus is um, plus size. So yeah, I would okay. love to see a street size or plus size model on the runway. Yeah. What about diversity in modeling? Do you mm-hmm. think that um, that there's going to be more room for growth in terms of, you know, ethnicities and uh, mm-hmm. racial backgrounds and gender identities and mm-hmm. things like that? I hope so. I really hope so. Um, I mean, the fashion industry has been slammed for not including uh, uh, African Americans, Asian Americans on the runway. I mean, it's just. I think it needs to change, and it's kind of been sluggish at best, and I'm not sure why it's not changing. I mean, it's what the buyers want. I'm, I'm not sure why it's been so lethargic, but um, I mean, I would love to see more black girls on the Victoria's Secret runway. I'd love to see more plus-size girls on the Victoria's Secret runway. They had uh, Winnie Harlow, who has, um, what is it, vitiligo? I thought that was really refreshing, and I was really happy to see that, but um, I don't know. I, I think they really need to change up their game. Victoria's Secrets. Yeah, because I mean, I'm very happy they did Winnie Harlow. Yeah, yeah it's it's um it's modeling is such a strange profession because we we basically create a bunch of idols mm-hmm. and in some way they're a reflection of society, but in another way they're totally unattainable, and that's why they're mm-hmm. idols. And so. I think it's very interesting that we're at this inflection point where we're trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to make mm-hmm. our idols closer to who, you know, the population is. Yeah, I think there needs to be a paradigm shift in that sense. Yeah. Um, it would, I mean, when I have children and I have little girls, I'd want them to see someone, you know, that looks more realistic, you know. But I, then again, I mean, what are, are people going to buy? I mean, I've seen articles where it's like people don't want to buy uh, like underwear for women that look like them they want to see an idealistic version of themselves I mean I personally don't really uh, believe that but I mean there's people that kind of you know see it from that viewpoint yeah and I've read those same articles which is like what we want from an idealistic standpoint is not necessarily what is moving the merchandise mm-hmm. and on some level modeling is an industry that is a sub industry of commerce mm-hmm. and the whole original origin story of models was not to just have beautiful people to look at, but it was to, you know, improve the moving of merchandise. It was mm-hmm. to sell stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a really interesting point. And it's kind of one of these issues of does the tail wag the dog or does the dog wag the tail? Like, yeah. are we are we going to put this into the world and say, like, you know, the, this these are the people who look like, society and buy the Mm -hmm. stuff and just take it if people don't buy the Mm -hmm. stuff and take the profit loss or are we going to say Mm -hmm. we're trying to move merchandise and create successful offshoot businesses so this is the stuff that you're actually voting for with your dollars Mm -hmm. I mean I think 
it's fine to have thinner girls modeling or bigger girls um, as long as it's, you know, idealistic but not just unrealistic. You know, um, maybe uh, they have amazing stories instead of, like, you know, the, the tiniest waist. I mean, I hope... I mean, that's what I think is kind of happening. People are more interested in the stories behind the girls in the underwear instead of the bodies. Yeah. You know, like Winnie Harlow, I would say. Um, Ashley Graham, she has an amazing story. People like that. Yeah, and it's um, interesting to learn about, you know, people mm-hmm. and not just the look of, you know, mm-hmm. the empty shell of a person. Like, mm-hmm. who is that person on the inside? What about ageism in modeling? Because mm-hmm. I've had so many um, models tell me that they hit an expiration date and they refer to these shockingly young ages where I'm like oh my god you're in the prime of your life these are the most beautiful years and they're like no I'm so old I'm 22 um what do you think about the extreme youth culture associated with modeling where you have to be like a newborn to be a model that's really unhealthy so not good. Um, I would say, I mean, I'll kind of regurgitate some things that I've heard or experienced, but um, in order to get into modeling, you don't want to start later. I, I don't believe these things. This is what kind of people abide by. Uh, you can't um, start past the age of 19, 20. Um, you kind of retire from modeling around the age of 25, 26. Um, so the thing with modeling, you have kind of 12 years old to 25, and then you have a period where you're kind of almost unmarketable unless you're pregnant. So there's like a lot of money to be had in like pregnancy and expecting models, but then it's like 45 plus, you kind of hit that range where you're marketable again. So kind of like the women in their 30s are not as marketable as 20s, teens, and 40s. And it's which so is kind of messed up, yeah. right? What's wrong with women in their 30s? Right? And then gonna... like, how do you feel about that as a beautiful model, but also as a human who's aging? Like, does it stress you out? I mean, I would think so. It should stress us all out. We're all going to age. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, no one's immortal. It's so interesting to me that this is exactly what I've heard from um, actors and actresses where, mm-hmm. you know, there's this highly relevant period of your life mm-hmm. when you're, mm-hmm. you know, a 20-something leading lady in the love story, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you get, maybe you'll have a niche job being pregnant, and then mm-hmm. you get fully mom-tracked, mm-hmm. or you're like a bit role as someone's grandma. But it's yep. just this sort of intense pressure on um, youth and beauty, and mm-hmm. of course there's something alluring about it, and it's my business and industry, so I get that um, that there's something uh, to it, and that it's part of human nature to want to put your best foot forward and you know mm-hmm. present yourself to the world in the way that makes you feel mo- most confident but I also think that um, it, you know there's something untenable about always wanting to be the most newest youngest best prettiest mm-hmm. most beautiful well it's kind of innate I mean what was it uh, a new classic kind of Greek and Romans that kind of wanted the idealistic versions of themselves and busts and statues and stuff like that so maybe it's just an innate human thing I'm not a fan of it I don't yeah. I don't like it yeah maybe that's yeah. right maybe we're trying to create yeah. our platonic forms <laughs> like the essence of yes. of us and then that's why we want the the better looking version of ourselves <laughs> to to use as our underwear model which is yeah. so interesting not um, about human psychology there yeah yeah do you ever feel worried about a time when you are no longer considered marketable enough to be in the pages of Maxim? Uh, no, because I kind of set up my life for after. 
um, I mean, I, I was ready to quit modeling at, you know, 22, 23. If, you know, it didn't work and they didn't like my look, I was fine with that. Um, I mean, I had Columbia and I had my business. So, I mean, if it didn't work out, it didn't work out. Um, so I guess the answer is no. I mean, it would be kind of a bittersweet end, but it would also be nice. Start a new beginning. Yeah. And also, I don't have to... Once I hit my 30s, I'm, you know, it's like the dark ages for women. You get, like, you have your 20s, and then it's like, oh, I have 30s, and, you know, 40s. I don't know. But let me throw yeah. out there that the 30s have been the best decade of my life. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm That's in them and really enjoying them. In the 30s, it's true what you're saying, and there's something really special about being in your 20s, and it's sort of a very fun, independent time mm-hmm. for many of us. Now, as someone in my 30s, what I can say about this decade from my perspective is that it's the time where um, I really feel like I became who I am. Mm -hmm. Like you hit your professional stride, uh, Mm -hmm. you hit your personal stride. I like, you know, in my 30s, I became a surgeon, I became a mother, I I became a wife, Mm -hmm. I developed a family and a practice and business. And and the 30s are a, a good time to figure out who you are and also to tell everyone who doesn't like you to, you know. Go. go exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is rated our podcast. Yeah, that. it's rated R, so. Yeah, but like, yeah. To, yeah, exactly. Um, to go swim in a lake or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so. <laughs> go swim in a lake. You're such a mom, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I can't curse in my house anymore. But um, anyway. The last thing, I know I said the last thing about five times, but the next thing I want to ask you about is um, your future. Mm -hmm. Because you're in law school right now Mm -hmm. um, at one of the best law schools in the country, which is amazing and a testament to your Mm -hmm. brilliant intellect. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do with a law degree and what's your hope for your um, long term? So I'm doing actually a joint program. I'm doing. have you heard of the JD MBA program at Columbia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's actually law school and business school. So when I'm done, I'll have my JD and MBA. So I'll probably just um, maybe start another company, um, maybe do consulting with law while I have a family. I mean, there's so many options. I mean, I don't really, I'm not in any kind of, you know, bind to do any certain thing. And obviously you've heard the horror stories of people becoming lawyers and going into those big law firms and not sleeping ever you know, 23-hour work days, I mean, that's not me, especially with Crohn's, so, uh, I'll probably do something more business-oriented with, like, kind of, like, a legal kind of bent, at least to protect myself. When you have a business, you need a lot of, you know, legal advice, contracts, uh, people want to sue you because, uh, your sweater looks like something that they made with at their grandma's 10 years ago, you know, whatever, <laughs> so you just have to protect yourself. I not think, a legit reason. No. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, okay, amazing. So now we really, I could talk to you all night. This is one of my best podcasts ever. This has been so interesting. <laughs> Thank you for um, having me. But I do want to ask you one final question. Mm-hmm. Um, as a model and someone who maybe more than anyone is a representative of quote unquote beauty, mm-hmm. what does beauty mean to you? Mm. Wow, that's such a broad question. I could go in so many different Yeah, because areas. you're you're like a you're a society, society has decided that you are a representation and an uh, you know, an emblematic face and body mm-hmm. and figure in the world. Until I hit my 30s and then until until you get mom tracked. No, no, no. <laughs> so in, well, and then I'll be sexy again once I hit 40, okay. apparently. Okay. I don't know what that's about. Um 
I, I guess beauty is um, kindness. You know, that's kind of lame to say, but it's true. Um, uh, talking about dating, most of the men that I've dated haven't been quite beautiful on the outside, but they've been very kind, and that made them attractive. I think the same thing goes for women. It's an inner kindness, a confidence. You know, fake it until you make it. I mean, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And intelligence is very attractive and, you know, beautiful. What is beauty to you? No, I'm asking I think the question. Yeah, right. I know. Whose podcast is this? <laughs> um, you should have a podcast. To me, beauty is all about confidence. Yeah. And I no. think that beauty is about knowing who you are and feeling comfortable in your own skin. Mm-hmm. And that can be so many different things to many different people. But mm-hmm. it can be intelligence and kindness and humility and sort of understanding your place in the world. Mm-hmm. But, but I'll answer more when you invite me on your podcast. Which I will never have. <laughs> You're never going to have. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank and it was so fun me. having you. My pleasure. Oh, also your lip plumper and your eyelash serum is amazing. Oh, Just putting okay. that plug in there. Bye, guys. And um, <laughs> wait, where can everyone find you? Uh, on Instagram at Elizabeth underscore Bert, B-E-R-T. Like Bert and Ernie. All right. Thanks, Liz. <laughs> Thanks.